culture says you get at things for a while and then when you hit 65 70 then you retire and you coast the rest of the way but not the prophet Elisha not God's inside person see God's inside person realizes that there is more to life than just the culture and the community that they live in what are you working for Are you working for that distant day when you can finally retire and stop working? Have you ever thought past that point at all? Is being done the real goal here? Pastor Daniel is going to challenge the American point of view in today's message. For the inside man or woman of God, the goal is never to be done working. The goal is to bring the kingdom of God to earth as an agent of God sent behind enemy lines. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Kings chapter 8 as he begins his message, Leaving a Legacy. How many of you ever heard that if you read the first chapter of a book and the last chapter of a book, you could fill in everything in the middle and it makes sense? I think I made it through high school doing that. Not that I would recommend it. The number of things that I missed in the middle were kind of profound. But in a lot of ways, it's an important reality because today we find ourselves at the very end of this Inside Man series that we've been doing. If you recall when we began a number of months back, everything that went on in the life of the prophet Elisha, it all happened because of one decision that Elisha made. Remember when Elisha picked up the mantle of the prophet Elijah that had fallen after the Lord took Elijah to heaven. His mantle was sitting there and Elisha reached on down and he picked it up and everything that we've seen over the last number of months happens because Elisha picked up the mantle that was in front of him. And I encourage each one of you that God has placed the work of ministry right in front of you. Ministry is not like a church staff position. Ministry is a life of service to Jesus that each one of us does each and every day wherever we find God calling us to be as moms and dads, as students in the workplace, in our neighborhood, as single people, as single again people. Wherever we find ourselves, the work of ministry is serving the Lord right where we find ourselves. And we've been seeing all the different ways that the Lord used the prophet Elisha Now, what's awesome, remember I told you about the first chapter and the last chapter. Today, we're going to see the last chapter in the life of the prophet Elisha. And one of the things I love so much about this prophet is that he's not like a good old-fashioned 21st century American. See, our culture says you get at things for a while, and then when you hit 65, 70, then you retire, and you coast the rest of the way. But not the prophet Elisha, not God's inside person. 
See, God's inside person realizes that there is more to life than just the culture and the community that they live in. And we're going to find that literally the prophet Elisha, he's being used of the Lord not only up until his last breath, but actually even after his last breath. Literally, you're going to see God's inside man being used after he's already gone. And if we're going to learn from the life of this prophet, if we're going to see ourselves as God's insiders, living in the world that we live in, but also pushing into heaven and being a vehicle by the Spirit to let heaven touch down to earth right where you find yourself, you're going to want to tune into this last chapter. So in order to do that, I want you to open your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings 8, we're going to take the first 15 verses and you also notice we're also going to be doing 2 Kings chapter 13, and we have a number of verses there as well. So open your Bibles. We're going to be reading lots of God's Word today, so I want you to pull those Bibles out, or if you have a smart device, I want you to pull that thing out, type in 2 Kings chapter 8 verse 1, you'll get there. If you're still flipping through the Bible, getting your Bible cardio on, 2 Kings, it's in the first sets of first and seconds that you find in your Bible. About a quarter of the way in, you have first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and first and second Chronicles. So the ones and twos of the Old Testament, and you find it in second Kings is right there in the middle of the ones and twos. Here you go. Second Kings chapter eight, verse one. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, arise and go you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land." Verse 4, then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, please, all the great things Elijah has done. Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the woman whose son had been restored to life, appealing to the king for her son and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Verse 6, and the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now, this is a really awesome story. We find that Elisha is speaking to the woman, the Shunammite woman, and telling her, about this famine that's going to come. Now, remember, we met this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. Remember, she saw the prophet Elijah coming to her community, and she went to her husband and said, hey, you know, that's the man of God. We should give him some food. We should help him out. And then she ended up setting up an upper room so that when he was passing through the area, he would have a place to stay. She was hospitable to this prophet. And sure enough, he wanted to bless her back, and the only thing that she didn't have was a child. And so he prophesied over her that God would give her a child, and she was like, hey, I'm not asking for this. But she, he's like, yeah, no, no, don't worry. Next year, this is going to happen. And remember, that child was born. He grew up, but then he was out in the field with his father, and he had heat stroke or whatever happened, and he died. And she called for the prophet Elisha, went and got him, and Elisha came back and restored that young man to life. 
right? So the same woman, in the context of their relationship, now Elisha fills her in on the fact that there's going to be a famine in the land, that the Lord has declared a famine in the land of Israel so that she should go with her family and leave and be protected. Now, all through the Bible, you find that the Lord has a tendency to use natural events as his ways to bring to pass the things that he's up to. And famine in the land, all through the Bible, brought from the Lord was a punishment for rebellion against him. You can read about it, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and a number of other places. So because of the falling away of the 10 northern tribes, the nation of Israel, God declared a fast, and Elijah knew about it. And because of the relationship that Elisha had with this woman, he told her about it. And she went and she lived with the Philistines for seven years. Now, don't miss this. And I think this is important. That so much of what God does happens in the context of relationships. See, within the relationships in the midst of the people of God, there is a give and take that goes on. There is friendships and things that develop. And it's so important for each one of us to find ourselves in an organic matrix of relationships, that there's people who know you and know about you. That's why here at Crossroads, we always say everyone needs to find a tribe here, whether you find it in men's and women's, whether you find it in serving in kids' ministry on the worship team or greeters and ushers, whether you're serving in youth group, wherever you're finding, we need to make sure that we have relationships. And for those of you like, wait, I haven't figured all that yet, go to our group's ministry. Because something happens in the context of relationship that is the downside of the really large church. See, many people can come in and out of a large church and not have any relationships, and then when things go down, there's nobody to minister to you or your ability to be able to minister to other people. We're supposed to be connected. And it's in the context of Elisha's continued relationship with this woman that he also fills her in. Listen, there's a famine coming. You need to go protect yourself. And so she goes... Her and her family, they abandon their land. They go to live with the Philistines who weren't exactly God's people's favorite people. And after seven years, she comes on back. And what's amazing is, is she goes back to speak to the king to get her land restored. You might be like, well, why? Well, think about it. If you own a piece of land, or maybe the bank owns it, right? And if you don't pay your taxes on it for seven years, who owns the land at the end of that? Uncle Sam. Right? Well, in the same way, the king's Uncle Sam. Right? So because they abandoned their land, the king ends up taking responsibility. So she decides she's going to go back to the king. Now, what's amazing is, is at the exact same time that she's coming back, the king calls for Gehazi. Remember him? He was, the ser- one of the, he was the servant of Elisha. And he says, tell me all the wonderful deeds of the prophet Elisha. And sure enough, Gehazi tells the king the story of the Shunammite woman and how a son was born and how the son died, and how the son was given life again by the prophet Elisha. You can imagine the king hearing the story being like, no way, wow. And then all of a sudden, the woman walks in. Brothers and sisters, God has perfect timing, always. You want a principle for you today? Perfect timing is always. God's timing is perfect timing. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly why he's doing it. And he knows exactly the time frame in which he's doing it. Now, let's be honest, though. Does anybody here really like God's timing? I don't know, right? 
Because we got our own timing, right? We're like, come on, Lord, we got things to do. We got to make some moves. We got to get this thing going. And we don't understand why God's timing is what it is. But I'm here to tell you, God knows exactly what he's doing. And God, not for one second, is not working out his plans and purposes in his own perfect timing as it always is. I mean, think about your Bible. I mean, right now we're studying the life of the prophet Elisha. Now, you could see the prophet Elijah being like, well, Lord, you know, I'm your inside man. Why isn't Jesus the Messiah here now and the work be finished on the cross? I mean, you realize from the time that God called Moses and David, it's 1,500 years until Jesus comes. You could say the Lord's timing is just lousy. I mean, who would have thought that this is good timing? I mean, we're talking about the savior of the world, the finished work of God in the work of the Messiah. Why did God wait so long? But then you get into the New Testament, it says that God's appointed time, that God's perfect time. So for each one of us, I believe that God is inviting us to trust him on his timing. Part of trusting God in his timing is surrendering our ideas of our own time. Rather than thinking God's timing is wrong, maybe we should say, Lord, my timing is wrong. And although I don't understand the delay and I don't understand why it's taking so long, Lord, I'm going to trust you either way. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you know what the thing about God's timing is? You know why it's so hard for us? Because we've got to walk by faith. See, if it's your timing, you're walking by sight. Lord, I wanted this thing here. I wanted this thing here. I wanted this thing here. And boom, I got what I want. But when God's timing is different, we need to say, Lord, you know it's out of my time clock, but I'm trusting you in yours. I mean, I think about this from my own life. I told the story. Like, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I mean, I had loving family, amazing family, but not following Jesus. Like, you know, me and my dad would talk about it. I'm like, Dad... You never told me that I need to follow Jesus. You never told me that I need to, you know, I was like, you love me, but he never told me that. He's like, yeah, I didn't tell you that, you know. And so when I got saved, I got saved at the end of college, and then God waited seven years to bring my bride Lynn into my life. Seven years. It was like the seven-year tribulation. <laughs> it was rough, man. And I remember, like, I'm following Jesus, and it's hard, and I live like... I lived horribly before then, so I thought I wasn't lonely. I, I had the illusion of, of having intimacy, but it wasn't. And then I'm following Jesus, and then I become a pastor, and I'm, there's nothing worse than being a single pastor. Because, uh, we'll leave that for another time. It's a horrible situation. No fun, right? And God waited seven years. But I'm so grateful for God's timing. God knew exactly what he was doing. I didn't understand it at all. I didn't like it either. I didn't like it at all. I remember every time my friends got married, I'd go to the wedding and sometimes I'd preside over it and I was all envious in my heart. Why are they getting married? I'm a pastor. Come on, Lord. Like, don't you know, Lord? I know you guys never feel that way, right? Never feel that way. But God's timing is perfect. I want to share a scripture with you from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. Lamentations. Now, you got to realize the context of this verse. The book of Lamentations is literally a book of lamenting. And lamenting, Lamentations is not a word that we use anymore. The word today would be blubbering, freaking out, crying, like that kind of. That's a lamentation. It's someone who is so distraught over what's going on that all they can bring forth is sadness. 
right? Now, the prophet Jeremiah, who inspired by the Spirit, penned the book of Lamentations, he's looking over Jerusalem, and he's looking over the temple where God placed his glory, and it's gone. And the people of God are exiled into Babylon. This had never happened before. And he's going, it's, if you read the book of Lamentations, it's funny, I just read through it in my devotional time about three weeks ago when I came into the office and we were talking about something and I'm like, yeah, in my devotional time, I'm reading the book of Lamentations. And Margaret, my assistant, was like, why are you doing that? We need you to be happy, you know? <laughs> it was funny though, because it was, but so in the midst of this, this is as bad as it could get. All of a sudden, these verses pop out of nowhere. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, it says this. The Lord is good to those who wait on him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, I believe that that is a verse that if you're here today and you're saying, oh man, God's timing is killing me. I mean, how can this be God's timing? This is in the midst of as bad as it could get for the children of Israel. And then it pops in that we should hope in the Lord and wait quietly for him. God is good to those who wait upon him. See, God's timing is perfect. This woman goes to the king hoping that the king would restore what is rightfully hers. And at the exact time she gets there, Gehazi has just finished telling the story. The king is blown away and the king says, listen, I want you to bring one of my attendants. Not only are we going to put this woman back in her land, we're going to give her all the proceeds that that land developed while the time she was gone. Not only is God's timing so perfect that she gets all the blessings of the land that was hers. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to hope in God's timing. Some of you need to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I I know your timing is perfect, but I really just don't like it. But Lord, I'm going to surrender my timing to your timing, and I'm going to wait quietly. Notice it doesn't say wait begrudgingly. I think some of us are waiting begrudgingly right now. God's timing, and you are, you ever see the Tweety Bird cover on the back of Jeep's? Or Tweety Bird's like this with the cross look. You know that? I think some of us are like that with the Lord. God's timing, we're a little Tweety Bird with the Lord. I'm telling you, don't be Tweety Bird with the Lord. Trust him. Trust the Lord. God's timing is perfect as always. Now, from there, look at what happens in verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7. We get the next little happening here. It says, Then Elisha went to Damascus... And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick, and it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, shall I recover from this disease? And so Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, go, say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Hazael said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, 
the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you will surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. Now, let me give you the, the concept here, and then I'm going to break open our passage and how it relates to us. What we learn here is that insiders have the scoop. Insiders have the scoop. Now listen, how many of you ever heard of insider trading? Now how many of you ever participate in that? Don't raise your hand. See, insider trading, it's now illegal, but what it means is that when somebody works for a company and they work there, they understand the inner dynamics, things that nobody knows about in the general public, and it's illegal to work for a company or have the inside information and trade in the stock market based upon it because it puts you at an unfair advantage. It puts everyone else at a disadvantage because you have insider knowledge and you're living off of that. Now, that may be true for the stock market, but in God's kingdom, God's insiders have the scoop. They have the information of what is going on, and we see this in the life of the prophet Elisha. See, he is heading to Damascus, which is the capital of the kingdom of Syria, and the king, Ben-Hadad, he's sick, and he finds out that Elisha's there, and he says, I need to find out if I'm going to recover from this illness. So he sends one of his generals, one of his leaders, this guy, Hazael, and he says, look, the man of God is here, Elisha's here, I need to find out what the inside scoop is. Am I going to recover from this? And so... Hazael grabs, he does the normal protocol for the day and age in which he lived. I mean, you would like this if someone came to see you if they brought 40 camel loads of cool stuff. But that was Near Eastern culture. When you wanted to honor somebody, it'd be like they show up and they're like, and here is the new Wii, and here is an Xbox, and here is some, a box of cannolis for life, and here is a Starbucks double shot, and here is this thing, and here is unlimited cable for the rest of your life. And all this, and can you tell me if I'm going to get better or not? That's kind of how it went. Right? And so Hazael shows up and says, my king, your servant wants to know, is he going to get better? And Elisha says, yep, this sickness isn't going to kill him. But then he says, but he is going to die. Kind of a strange thing. It's kind of a strange thing. I mean, literally, Elisha says to him, you're going to certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me he's really going to die. And then Elisha does something really interesting because it says in verse 11 that he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and then the man of God wept. So what you have is Elisha delivers this insider information that the sickness that Ben-Hadad isn't going to kill him, but he is going to die. And then Elisha stares at Hazael, and he stares at him so long that Hazael gets ashamed, and then Elisha starts to weep. And then notice what Elisha says. He's explaining what's going on here. In verse 12, Hazael says, why is my Lord weeping? And Elisha answers, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Jesus is real. Everything in Elisha's life happened because of one vital decision that he made. When Elijah was taken up into heaven, Elisha picked up the mantle. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that you have a mantle on the ground in front of you. What will you do with it? Elisha was used by God through every moment of his life and even after his death. 
pick up your mantle today and join the story that's bigger than you. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will finish up this series on the life of Elisha. We will watch as Elisha tells Hazael he will be the next king of Syria and then all the awful things that he will do. Hazael says, that's not me, but God knows his heart better than he does himself. God has revealed your weak spots to you, but all you want to do is say, that's not me. God knows your heart better than you do. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Inside Man. Until then, may God bless.